Welcome to Foss Backstage. This is pretty weird for me. I, A, I can hear myself, which is cool, although it might get pretty old. B, I have a sound person. Max is joining us today. Max, you are awesome. Um, Max, unfortunately, has an unmemorable last name. I know he has a last name that's very cool and it's very memorable to him, but it just went in one ear and out the other for me. So Max Brayton Smith is an awesome sound engineer who just spent four years in the Netherlands getting his bachelor's. Really interested in the sound stuff. He's going to Austria tomorrow to do sound expeditions there um, in Vienna for an art studio. So if you're interested in sound and art, do get in touch with me and I can put you in touch with Max. But with that having been said, this is Fox Backstage. It's in Berlin and this is part of the Sustain podcast series. So hello, welcome to Sustain. And I'm letting my guest just sit there while I talk at him. I'm sorry. It's just this is the first podcast. I wanted to set some of the stuff out of the way. I'm joined today by Thomas Thomas Steinberger. 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 Okay, cool. I tried. Guy. Thomas, how are you doing today? Good, good. A little bit of rushing in. Rainy weather. Yeah, it's nice though. You know, it's it's Central Europe. It's pretty blah. It's not so bad. Thomas, do you, do you live in Germany? I live right here in Berlin. That's very, very lucky. I do not live in Berlin, so I'm very jet-lagged. So audience, if I start being very strawberries, don't worry. It's because uh, I'm very uh, jet-lugged. But no, it'll, it'll all work out. Thomas, you do everything. So you work as the head of the OSPO at EPAM. EPAM, yeah. EPAM. You are currently running a workshop while also being at this conference. Yep. Um, the OSS Review Toolkit. Yeah, short ort. It's uh, happening on, on Wednesday and Thursday as a fringe event to Full Backstage. Which is amazing. And you're also probably on many boards. No, I'm actually not. So what? Much, I'm, I'm much more on a steering committee. Uh, also, I might do, so I have some things to, to join some boards. But no, I've been doing very hands-on things. So steering committees, yes, that I do. But board positions, I don't know. I don't, that will come. I'm very hands-on trying to moved ecosystems basically solve very big problems okay so you're you're like a developer you actually do work. no no it's, i'm kind of weird so <laughs> cool. i yes i am have a background as a software developer yes i do still software development but nowadays it's a lot of community events organizing yeah. work on standards i look at the the whole end-to-end -end picture cool well it makes sense that you're here then so fastback's edge is a conference dedicated towards all the work that goes into open source that isn't just open source work but everything else on the side um, it's been going on for a few years now. Is this your first time coming to this conference? This is actually this is actually funny because this is in my hometown. This is the <laughs> first time I'm actually on site. Normally, I am, am joining online. Cool, <laughs> because always there is something. So it's actually a very recent, and it's exactly actually at this conference as as well that my wife's birthday is actually on Wednesday. Cool. So and she's actually working here as a stage manager, managing currently stage two. Cool. Oh, that's great. That's okay. awesome. That's pretty rare. So that's that's nice. I didn't join last year. I also joined virtually. So I also held these podcasts, but I held them remotely, which is pretty funny. I don't remember if I talked to you then. I do remember I met you at Open Source Summit in September. Yeah, we, we, we cross each other like at all of the different All the different things. things. There was something else. You were at State of the Open, weren't you? I was, I did State of the Open. <laughs> I did I did uh, FOSDEM before I went to the other phone. Uh, then, then I'm organizing also. So I'm organizing also an event called Ospology Life. So in, I was in 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 Amsterdam in January. So Ospo um, is your life. Ospology Life. Ospology Life. That's right. With Anna Jimenez. Yeah. Cool. So basically, it, what I'm trying to do is, and it actually, we, we talk about sustainability here, right? So that, yes. that's that's where I'm. At. So 
I well, I've been open source for a long, long time, but for like professionally working open source, uh, basically actually getting paid to do full-time open source is when I started managing the uh, open source program office at Here Technologies. Yep. Way, way back in 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 2015. Yep. And at that point, actually, I uh, we quickly realized basically that the problems that we were trying to solve as organizations are using open source, and we have like, oh, we look at this, okay, we have several big challenges yeah we have we have a tooling problem yep we have a because basically we need to figure out what we're doing what open source we're using how what and why oh god we have a big data problem yeah where we use all of this open source where we have licensing security stuff and all of the other all of all the challenges that open source communities are awesome but again if an organization that brings lots of extra challenges that you have to deal it with does, yeah. and quickly realize basically like hang on hang on um we cannot, okay, we could use, we can basically be like a consumer of open source or a user of open source, but that's not really sustainable. Yep. Uh, especially for the uh, uh, the, the, the space where, where, where here technology is operating, which is a mapping space. There are a lot of these tiny niche mapping libraries that nobody probably in the open source community knows, Yeah. but are essential to the industry. Yeah, always, yeah. <laughs> and... But then it's always, uh, I always, I, because I, again, I speak at a lot of conferences, I always get the question, look, look, here's big company X. I, they, I know that they're using my open source project. Why are they not sponsoring? I have a funding and a sponsoring button. Yep. And, uh, and well, being in to-do group, working with a lot of organizations, helping also professionally organizations with their managing and their open source governance. The funny thing is either A, the organization actually doesn't know yep. they're using this particular open yep. source library, or... B, when they do have tooling in place, it's mostly for compliance purposes, which is completely not suitable <laughs> if you actually want to use that data to actually look at like, what are we actually using? Where are the problems? Yeah. And so if they already have tooling in place, then you need to get to the to, to the next stage. Okay. Hmm. How many, how much, just to guess, how much do you think? I know the numbers roughly. How many pieces of Open source, do you think, uh, God knows, let's call, uh, if you have 2,000 employees, 2,000 software employees, how many pieces of open source software do you think that organization would use? I'm assuming 2,000 employees, I'm going to assume 200 engineers. Uh, tens of thousands? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. A lot. And that's exactly the problem that they have, even if they're aware of it, and yeah, they yeah, all yeah. the mindset, and they have, they have budgets, like then you look at your 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 options. Like okay, we want to contribute back. What are we going to do? So first you have like just the city of Munich just was telling about their, their open source uh, sabbatical where they now allow uh, even external developers to apply for a sabbatical with them. So you get a, uh, a time paid by the city of Munich. Yep. The, but they had a huge thing to go to their treasurer to get it approved. Yep. Similar side is like okay, so you can again you can pay a foundation. Yep. You can pay service like Tidelift where you pay them. Yep. But. The funny thing is when I look at this, like actually for us in our context, it was like, no, 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 no. Like when I was at here, it was like, no, no, no. We we, we have these specific libraries that actually probably will never see the day of like that. Those are the ones that we want to put the money in. <laughs> Try detecting and figuring this out. So then we were looking at this whole stuff and I was like, uh, uh, hang on. Okay. So I had already a, a fortunate background that I used to work way back in the Netherlands in a startup that was uh, a lot of Mozilla folks, a lot of Apache folks. Cool. Okay. And so I had the right connections basically in Silicon Valley. And I was basically like, hey, how guys do you guys do that? And so like, no, no, we have this thing called an open source program office, which is kind of like our knowledge center for managing open source. Yeah. And then so, like, so then I quickly learned 
that having such an organization, and, and don't be wrong, there's not one so-called Ospel for everybody, there's multiple ways, but if you want an organization to basically get better at open source and really start contributing back, and, and they really need something like an Ospel or a sort of organization that helps that organization figure things out. Why? Because basically normal processes in most organizations are not set up for open source. They are literally, and people are so surprised when they learn what I do on a, da- a daily basis or not. There is a lot of things where I need to talk to procurement. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're used to setting up vendors. Uh, everything is vendors, 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 vendors based. L- look at the new Cyber Resilience Act and all of these European legislations. All treats open source as if it was a vendor because yep. that's basically the default in the industry. Everything is a vendor. Yep. And then I always have to say, and there's a beautiful a blog post from, uh, uh, from Thomas. Uh, what's the list here? I'm not a supplier. People just Google it. I'm not a supplier. It's a beautiful blog post. And I'm an open source maintainer myself. I was like, no, I put my code out there and I don't have a contract or relationship with you. you, you if you use my software, great. If you contribute back, even better. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So then if you go back to that, the organizations are not set up for open source. Even the organizations that have basically are doing well, I know a lot of these people that run OSPOS. I can tell you, <laughs> we used to do a series that I organized, uh, a panel series was a day in the life in OSPO. You should hear the day-to-day fights that they do to enable basically contributing back. Can you uh, give me an example, which isn't from your organization, I'm winking, but w- whatever it sounds good of like, what's a fight that happened that you've heard of that's just ridiculous, that sounds crazy? Oh, the, 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 the box standard thing is, oh yeah, Sure, we can wire money to that, but please have them fill in our vendor procedure. Oh, and yeah. there's a long list of checks and things. And it's like, yeah. so I can, I run an open source maintainer. Our project, well, Fortune is under the Lynx Foundation. So yep. we actually have an LLC, a corporate structure and all of those legal entities. But tons of projects don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that already becomes like, oh, or, and then you get the, the nice one where, uh, especially if you work like in uh, high compliance environments, like banks, yeah. you need to do like all of this uh, money laundering, terrorism checks. So then you get these questionnaires, and this is really funny always, have you fought in the Second World War? And I'm like, uh, I'll not say my age, but uh, <laughs> I can yeah. tell you for sure yeah. that no, I haven't fought, but that, that's the, the, always these, but again, Th- it's these organizations like the they have when you enter the US, you know, have you worked to overthrow the US government? And it's like yes or no. And it's like, well Yeah, so you get all of these questions. And yeah. that's where basically an OSPO then has to come in, uh, facilitate that. We temporarily then st- step in. So generally I think OSPOs are very good to get organizations to contribute back and to help with sustainability. But of course, then the whole trouble comes where I looked at this is basically and like, hang on. Okay, when you look at most organizations which start in OSPO, the first thing that they come into is kind of the compliance side. So I always yeah, look at, at OSPOs at, at five areas. So yeah. you have the consumption of open source or usage of open source. Yeah. You have the compliance because, hey, usage, you have to comply with the licenses, the security, you have this whole compliance and trust problems. Then you have the contributing back because, hey, you need to t- tweak the open source to work for your use cases. One second. No, the compliance issue, clearly defined as a good example of that, right? Yeah. So, And also uh, there's some other privacy things. Uh, Fossa is another one, yeah. and Black Duck. Yeah, All or, these things or, or, or as a few toolkit, we built our own tooling. Cool, awesome. Okay, <laughs> just, just, just just making sure we I, I I have that right in my head. Okay, so users of open source consumption compliance. What was the third one? Co- contributing back, contributing so back, very important. And then then if you're contributing back, of course you deal with the community because if you if you're like like me, you're a regular contributor, you'll figure out that contributing back 
is not easy. There's always a mistake from like, oh, we just throw our, we just, oh, I'm giving you the PR and they will just merge it because we are a big company X and we have a major brand. And it's always funny that I have to explain like, the open source really community doesn't care that you're a major brand X and everybody knows yep. you on the planet. Yep. You're an open source nobody. Yep. And you need to basically get your patches merged on their on the marriage. You cannot say I'm big. That's always funny. In, in I, I will not name it. a certain European government. Yep. Wrote a really fun text. We are the strong arm of the government. We'll just get this fixed. And I, we were just <laughs> la- we were sitting in the community and we were just laughing our ass off. Like, don't get me wrong. We love governments getting involved in open source. Yeah. But the mindset is still the same. Like we're the government. We we can sway industries and the open source community is like, yeah, we're we're, we're the world. We, we don't happen. So just to. I mean, I was just dealing with a code of conduct issue this morning for a project where someone wrote me and said, here's a code of conduct violation because the maintainer basically said no to them. Yeah. And I, I had to try to explain, like, it doesn't matter if you think you're right. Sometimes the maintainer gets to decide arbitrarily whether or not yep. they do something. Mm-hmm. And they could be mean about it. And that, that's a problem. Yeah. And well, that, that could be nice about and it. And that's where if you have an, an OSPO, like what I yeah. do. So but you don't remember, we have known of a vendor relationship. So yeah. I, for instance, in one of my cases, we had, uh, we were using a library from Meta, okay. Facebook at the time. And they were really interested, like, oh, can we use this? Uh, like, we really want to invest. The company wanted to invest a serious amount of money in there. But it's like, is this, what is the goal of this project? And they were really vague. It was a really interesting project. So now, because I knew the people at the OSPO yeah. of Meta, I would just basically give them a ping and basically say, hey, this is this project. So I was able to arrange the meeting, get all the stuff and get all the business people also certified. Like, yeah, we know the other sides. So again, there's not a vendor supplier relationship, but just being able to bridge the bridges. Are you saying that open source projects should all have a goals at MD file? Here's the things I'm looking forward to. No, not that. No. I, I, I'm not, this is, I'm just always like, like, I work a lot of things in the stuff. I'm not forcing anything on anybody. It's just Excellent. like having that relationship there. So this really is also- helps. So we, And also removes friction. We basically remove friction. It's really yeah. a key level of organization. So when I realized that, I was like, okay, I want more open source. That's a direct open source guy. Of course. How do we do it? Well, we know that compliance is kind of the, the lead ball that holds a lot of it back yep. because the lawyers can vote. So we had at that time the choice. We were, the, the company here was being split off from Nokia. We had a completely clean slate and they said like, what are you doing? And so I'm like, hang on. I will run my OSPO the open source way. Yep. So wherever possible, we'll use open source software. Cool. And so we started building Ord for short, which was simply for first for our own needs of doing this whole figuring out kind of how do we automate our workflow. How originally for license compliance, then software bill of materials. So that's why I mean S bombs and, and I yep. got the more and more, that's why I'm in so many organizations. I'm like trailing like, okay, we figured this out. My idea was basically, hang on, we built this tooling, then we add something that is turnkey for organizations. Yep. But we don't only build the tooling, we open source the tooling the data yeah. and the policies. Yeah. So basically I'm giving them, and well, actually you know, I'm, we are giving them a blueprint how you can manage your open source in your organization. If only other people wanted to know that information and learn how to do that with you. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many how many organizations <laughs> stepped up. And once, once I realized that basically, why would you use this? Well, we call this the compliance hamster wheel. Cool. Open source is, a, is, is really beautiful, but it's also broken in many, many places. Yeah. And what you get is you get a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of commercial vendors promising to smooth this all out, making a lots of money and all of the stuff. It's like, no, 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 like, hang on, hang on. We as the world are doing more and more for open source. Open source is everywhere. 
And what this guy is doing is just basically putting a bandage on, but they make money by not healing the community. Yeah. So what if, and the problem what we hear from the community was not that we want to, uh, yeah, we don't have that enterprise tooling at all to give indication. This tooling generally costs 100,000 euros or more. Yeah. We're talking about millions in some cases. Now, an open source project probably, A, doesn't have this money, or if you talk to the foundations like I do, they principally don't want to use closed source software. Yeah. So then we were looked at that like, hang on, if we make the software available that can do their license compliance, their security on an enterprise level. So if we basically as OSPOs, we need this tooling anyways. If we take the money that we normally give to commercial tooling, now start building open source tooling. And then basically, whilst we talk, we actually, as OSPOs, we learn from each other, we get better and better. And then we extend to more areas. So we started that as bombs and license compliance. Then we started doing security. Now we're talking about health and sustainability. Because the problem was, again, if you want to make sustainability, you need to have the data. But the data is all locked up in this proprietary vendor uh, vendor silo, which yeah. you can't get it out of. Yep. So we were like, okay, we do this. We draw on a paper napkin in a VR card here. Which was like two years, we can build this. Uh, we're now in year seven. <laughs> it takes a little <laughs> bit of You have to understand like... You must have a very understanding VP above you though. I mean... Yeah, so this is the funny thing is, we were actually quite quickly being able to solve our own organization's need. Yeah. The problem is when you're going to do this again from multiple organizations and you want to scale this up, Yeah, it requires a, a, a lot more, more effort. So You didn't mention that OSPOs also have to work with other OSPOs. Was that the fourth or fifth point? That, that's the, 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 yeah, the, four, the fourth point is like community and the fifth point is kind of like strategy. Got so it. Okay. that's from, from a strategy perspective, yeah. we decided like, hey, we do everything op- open source where possible, and if needed, we supplement it temporarily with with, with closed source solutions. But do open it, by default. Open by default and do it. So that was it's a really a, a really big course. fight. But yep. on one side, it was kind of actually funny enough. It was actually easier. Yep. Because in here technologies, we're using forty four different build tools. Yeah. Most organizations actually use twenty tif- different build tools, and most commercial tools support roughly a dozen. Hmm. So we already had this problem. That like, oh, we will have to then get commercial tool A for these and these. And for all of these others, we basically have to make a hotspodge thing from other UIs ourselves or open source tools. And yeah, if you have a small OSPO with a very little, this doesn't work. Yeah. And if you then have to talk to your the, the developers and get them all out, this is super frustrating for them. So then we said like, no, no, we'll do it the other way. So we'll start building this whole open source. We explained to them like, hey, the tooling is not perfect. But it's fully open source. Here you can find it on, on, on GitHub. We work together with all of these other organizations to try to fix it. And, and then we got a really different response from our developers. Yep. And now basically, now we're a lot further along. And so now we're helping, for instance, the Eclipse Foundation. I'm now also talking to Finos Foundation. <laughs> and we're rolling through that. Now, to be clear, we're not forcing our tooling on anyone. How big is your OSPO, by the way? Uh, how much do you think? Three people? We're a little bit bigger, yeah, but four, four people. <laughs> cool. Four, okay, four just, people. Uh, if when I count you say 16, we, I'm just like, I'm curious. But again, the thing how we do this is basically, you might have a small OSPO, but because I'm working with other OSPOs, yep. I share my challenges. Yeah. So I can do more f- things with l- a smaller team. Yeah. And that's, people are like, yeah, but that's what all open source is all, all about. <laughs> and this is how we now can take t- start tackling the bigger problems. So my thinking was like, okay, I, we first... And I also work, that's why I shot sharing best practices as OSPOs pull them out there. Yep. Best practices are nice, but as I, I started also learning from America's best practices, I want Turkey. So then we started building the, <laughs> building the tooling. 
Cool. So best practice is tooling. And then I was like, okay, but then we have the problem basically how we don't have the market apparatus that the commercial vendors have. Yep. So this is why I started organizing all of these events yep. to basically say like, look, there is action alternative. If you want to do this, do it. And the goal is basically if we have the knowledge, the tooling and the events, then, then together we can work on the bigger problems inside the community bit by bit. And when I talked to my CTO at the, at the time, he was like, yeah, that's how much it's going to take years. Yeah, it's going to take years. But we already calculated in our case that if for the small space where the company was operating, if we just make it 5% less, the amount of cost savings that we would get from that, from just a compliance perspective, the years. would justify everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, basically, from a, uh, from a company perspective, if you show like, no, yeah, we're at OSPO and we do things to open sway, also the people that work in my OSPO they will also learn more about source. So I was looking at this as a perfect win. It's a win for the community because yep. it gets better tooling yep. and hopefully more, more funding. It's a win for the company because basically they learn how to do open source better and they know that basically from the risk perspective to manage. It's a win for all the people in the company because basically my people that work in my OSPO, they're continuously in contact with people, all other OSPOs all over the world and the people that are that are commercials, they also encourage to do. Yep. So I was like, it's a triple win. Why not? I can tell you it's not easy. <laughs> it sounds easy. It's not easy. Doesn't sound But easy for me, it was like the logical answer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But I said, I'm just trying to offer another way. If we, if we help give OSPO the right tools, then they can less worry about the compliance topic. That means they have more time for contributing back, which means that they can give more stuff to basically open source which is actually generally good for the community and also for 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 my employer because basically we do a lot, tons of stuff with open source so more open source is good for us so it's a win-win cycle excellent so is that your talk that you're giving today tomorrow, tomorrow. we're going to talk a little bit about how we use uh, because it's a compliance site uh, we look okay. about how we do license compliance and security using leveraging inner source and the community. Excellent. So it's a little bit how that is 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 connected uh, uh, with each other, a little bit of insight. Uh, and then basically on Wednesday during the Ord Community Day, we'll, we'll actually have actually multiple uh, companies speaking. So we have Bosch speaking, we have Carriot speaking. I'm hoping getting the Eclipse Nation also to speak how they use the tooling. And the funny thing is everybody uses the same tooling and data differently. Again, yep. there's not one solution for all. Yep. And that's the nice thing with open source. You can take what we do and mold it to how it works for your organization. Thomas, you shared a lot of links today, but unfortunately we don't have a laptop. We're just sitting in these lovely <laughs> plus chairs. Uh, where can people learn more about you and your words and your work? Uh, the, 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 the easiest way, uh, you can literally type in Thomas Steenbergen, uh, GitHub. S-T-E-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-N. Steenbergen. I have a readme in my GitHub that nicely lists out all of the project. There's uh, my contact details and all the things that's really simple for people. I'm always happy to help people with their uh, with their open source challenges and refer them to the right people that I know throughout the communities. Yeah, so f- feel free to reach out. I'm always open for a chat. Cool. And uh, hopefully we find more people like you who are also keen to roll up their sleeves. His sleeves are literally rolled up. And yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, Thomas. That was excellent. And uh, good luck with your talk tomorrow. And keep it up. You're doing great work. Thank you, Richard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Sustained at Foss Backstage. Again, here in Berlin. This is the third podcast today. Very excited to have across me, Joseph Pratt, who I have never met before in my life, in real life at least. But now I know how tall he is, because that's obviously the first thing everyone notices. (laughs) 
So, Joseph, it's great to have you. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. So I forget, you're, you're not Finnish, but Ivan is Finnish, but you live in Barcelona. The, uh, actually, yeah, so th- the whole thing is complicated, let's put it this way. So, Okay, what's Ivan? Let, let's start. Ivan is a Finnish company and we provide software as a service and we provide Kafka, Cassandra, Postgres, you name All any of those. Ones. Yeah. The company is Finnish. I am originally from around Barcelona, but I live in Berlin, so I'm playing home today. Excellent. Very <laughs> exciting. It's nice to be here. It's actually sunny outside, which is bizarre. It was raining this morning. Yeah, it, it's an anomaly. Let's yeah. put it this way, yes. Yeah. How large is Ivan? So Ivan now, it's around 500 people. Okay, cool. So it's a medium-sized company. Yeah. Uh, which normally don't have open source program offices. Of- Correct. So that's one of the... Uh, strange things about Ivan, because you, you usually would say if a company is only like 500 employees, you don't have time for that. Yeah, or nobody usually puts the focus on having an open source program office. And But Ivan is somewhat different. So one of the motors is like, like be like a crop. They walk not like forwards, but sideways. So mm. things sideways. And that's one of the things that the founders decided to do really early on was we need to put some emphasis and focus on open source. And also, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be Ivan, do it within, with our own touch. And when we usually have an open source program office, you might think about them as in, we have this open source project uh, that it's owned by us and we want to broadcast it. We want to make it perfect so everyone can use it. But what we do is kind of the other way around, is we use these open source projects that exist out there and we want those projects to be as healthy, as sustainable as possible. So instead of just throwing money at them, we also throw people's time at it. So hmm. we basically employ people to work full time on those projects. Full time. So this isn't just Friday. No, it's not just Friday afternoon yeah. uh, if you have time. It's full time working on that. So that's really interesting. So. A lot of OSPOs get pushed in backwards because they do have to figure out, oh, we need to have a marketing scheme. Oh, we need to work with this other company. In terms of ecosystem level approaches, that is quite rare. How do you decide which projects are worthy of full-time development? Yes. So you can do it in two ways. Basically, you can go into what's my main project at my company and then go dependency-wise and try to pick the first ones. The but there are thousands of dependencies. Exactly. And then you will never end up. And when you are on the basically fourth or fifth project, you already run out of people that you can dedicate to those projects. Yep. So what I highly encourage is to work semantically from the projects that you have, which ones you care the most, aka if they disappear tomorrow, which ones will impact you the most Hmm. and then focus on those ones. How do you do, how do you find that stat? And Ivan, it's trivial because we offer open source projects as a service. Uh, Okay, yeah. So it's easy. Uh, We just basically offer Kafka as a service. So guess what? We need to work on Kafka. We offer Cassandra as a service. You guessed it. We need to work on Cassandra. And that's what we do. We basically, every single project that we offer as a managed service, we want to make sure that we have people who contribute to those projects regularly and basically as a full-time job. So how do you ensure that you're not influencing those projects in a negative fashion? Good. Yeah, that's, uh, that starts probably uh, when we start hiring for these roles. So we try to look for people who have the right mentality, who want, who are there, not just because of the uh, fame and glory of open source, uh, but basically they care deeply about open source and communities and improve the projects. Then another thing that we do is when, when we started the whole thing, this open source program office, we were like just two people. 
And now we are around 20 people doing this thing. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's quite a nice number. But if you think about it, we have quite some projects that we offer as a service and we want to have one or two people working on those ones. Yeah. And that adds up quite quickly. And what we started thinking was, okay, we need to do, we need to make sure that these people focus their time on what matters. So we decided to try the right thing. You are what you measure. So we decided to measure the right things or what we think will produce the right community on the other end. So many companies, when they have people who contribute to open source, usually they focus on, you need to produce things. You need to release X amount of features. You need to fix X amount of bugs. Yep. That's good. But that's only one tiny little bit of the picture. It's the one that it's visible. It's the one that brings you fame and glory on the individual contributor level. But it's not what makes communities go forward. There is the other aspect of it. You push pull requests into projects, but who reviews them? What happens in many projects is that that's done on their free time. They go home and then they start reviewing these things. They yeah. need to sacrifice their private life to do part of their work. So what we decided to do was, no, that's work. Metrics, the metric of reviewing pull requests is also part of your performance review. Hmm. You are expected to do pull request reviews. And the more you do, the better it is for the project. Just PR reviews? What about product design thinking? What about... We, we don't have right now any product design person, but basically pull request reviews also... Uh, some projects have something called improvement processes. Okay. And those ones would fit into the same thing. So it's giving your opinion on proposals. Hmm. That would be the general cool. broader term. It's easy to speak about pull request reviews because it's easy to understand. But uh, any every project uses different ways of organizing and governance. But it's in the end, you have time to review other ones' proposals and give your opinion. And that's part of your work. And the third thing that we also measure is that you need to contribute back to the community by sharing talks, writing documentation, in helping newcomers to the project. All the things that usually are neglected by engineering-based teams when they contribute to open source, that's what our teams need to do. By these three things, yeah, cheat the system, try to optimize only for the things we measure, we will get a nice result on the other end. You will try to contribute features and bug fixes you will review other ones, other people's work, and you will try to make the project better. So go for it. Try to optimize for the things we measure. We hope that the other thing, that what you get on the other side, it's good for the communities. So Amanda Caseri, one of the hosts of the Sustain podcast, tweeted a couple of days ago that you cannot directly measure the value of open source because it's given away. And that's a hill that she, quote, will die on, end quote. So I'm just curious about, yes, you, you get what you measure, but are peer review reviews enough? Yeah, uh, so everything, and she's completely right. Anything that we measure there could be seen sometimes as a soft metric because yeah. it has an, another dimension. Yeah. If I review a typo, yep. is it a review? If I submit a... As, as a linguist, I'm, I'm not going to argue. I think, yes, it is. But, but yeah, is it the same? It, there are different levels of contributions. There are different levels of reviews. Just silently nodding, yeah, that sounds good and yeah, not yeah, providing yeah. any kind of feedback. Is that reviewing? Then we go to more philosophical, deeper uh, discussion into those aspects. But if you want to game the system, yes, you could always game the system. Uh, we try to agree that we have a uh, Boy Scouts 
impact, as in we will not actively play ourselves to game the system and we will not just do things for the sake of the metrics. The metrics are there to help us see the evolution. And again, uh, coming up with a raw number, it's probably nonsense because how many issues it's good to contribute. I I don't know. And it depends on where you are in that moment. It depends on how big the contributions are, how small they are, how needed they are, or how which moment of the life cycle of the project you are in. So it, it's really random. It, it, it doesn't, you cannot really plan for these things. So it's more about evolution and how you can see from six months to six months or three months or three months, how we evolve on those metrics. And if there is something we need to change or adapt, are we doing enough for requests? Do we, this quarter, for example, we did too few. Why was that? There were less reviews to do maybe in the project. Maybe the project was not having much pull request reviews on the area of expertise that we have. It, it, it's a matter of discussing those things. So yes, data tries to be as cold as it can be, but in the open source world, many of the things have the extra dimension of, well, let's see. And, and sometimes features are not even that big sometimes, but they are really, really awaited for people and they unblock lots of work afterwards. And that's really impactful. It's trade-offs. Yeah. And and as I said, uh, one professor in the university usually said, the answer to every single question is it depends. So it's kind of in that sense. Well, I guess I have a question for that. So you say we can get more philosophical if you want to, (laughs) but you're doing that to the tune of at least $2 million. I mean, 20 people is is quite a large amount. That's 4% of the company. So I'm curious, how do you ensure that trust is held and how do you keep out bad actors? Because sometimes there are bad hires. I've been one myself at times. So I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's something we need to keep a close eye on. So the what we do, we need to measure enough, but we need enough room to evaluate the environment they are working in. Yeah. Because if we hire a person that is complete newcomer to a project, it will take time for the person to have some impact, of course. So you need to see for the potentials and you need to see for what the person brings as a person and not someone as a technologist, but also like which kind of values are the values of these people. And if they are aligned to what we want to achieve, the chances of success are higher. But obviously that means that we need to constantly see and check are we progressing as we need to progress? Is, are we getting the results that we're getting on the other side? So one of the things we can see if we're doing the right progress is first one, which is the obvious one, is the people that we employ. In time, we will get more and more uh, power or more, not power, they will get more influence within the projects. Yep. And basically that means that people get either maybe commit rights or maintain rights and they will start helping bear the burden of the project maintenance. And the more we have that, it means that we're doing the right thing. We've seen this evolution. We started with zero people that were maintainers of projects, and now we are at five. Yep. So it's a good evolution. And we need to keep that. That keeps happening. And one of the other values is basically we can be seen in a sense as an uh, insurance policy for the business. Yeah. Because the way that we, the way we are set up and that works for us and it might not work for any other company, maybe. But I guess for many software as a service companies, it might uh, work quite nicely. We work on projects that they are the key base of our business models. Mm. So 
it's on the interest of the business to have a team that could potentially lead a fork if there is a change of license or that they will make sure that the project moves forward and not stagnates and lacks of people and, and, and working people on the project. So it's not abandoned, it's actively maintained and actively pushed towards new, uh, n- new, I don't know, new ideas or new ways of growing the project into. And by having those two things, we managed to pin the value of the open source program office into Ivan's. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I like it. Thank you. I do have a question. Go ahead. Which I feel like I asked earlier. And I'm going to ask it again. How do you ensure that the open source projects roadmaps aren't overly influenced by Ivan's ah, priorities? That's what you mean. Don't worry. We are not in the position of overly influenced right now. We well, are. You, you just said you're actively trying to yeah, maintain yeah, we, we act- the project. Yeah, yeah. So. We're actively doing that. But yeah. basically, we are the small fish within the whole pond. So, just because Ivan is small and because yes. you're an open source SaaS product. Yeah. Many open source projects, uh, they do have already, uh, they are driven by one or two big companies already right now. Well, the majority of the ones that you see anyway, the ones yeah, that the, work at, the at ones that we, scale. Exactly. The yeah. ones that we care about. I'm not talking about every single project. So I'm many talking, repos on GitHub. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And many of them are maintained by one single person yeah. and or half a person. If that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, for example, if we talk about certain projects like Cassandra, Apache, Flink, any of uh, Apache Kafka, Apache Flink, Apache Cassandra. These already exist in a horrible soup of corporate interest, basically. So those ones, they do have a lot of people who work at one or two companies already that are in mass being the maintainers of those projects. Yeah. So what we want to bring in there is diversity of affiliation in those maintainer parts. So... And we don't say that we are the only ones who are allowed to do that. We actually say, please, more companies do that because the more you do that, the more different companies, the more different points of views will be present in the maintenance group of people. How do you say that explicitly to maintainers of those projects? Do you have a GitHub template? I would love to see it. No, I don't have. I, I might need to create one of those I would things. love that. Yeah. But uh, so I try to go to when I go to conferences or when I go to talk, some talks, uh, I usually try to explain, hey, that's how we do things. And please other companies do the same thing, you can do that. And that's good for the projects because of this reason. Also, sometimes we try to approach leadership uh, members of projects and say, hey, we are here. That's what we want to do. Hmm. There is no hidden agenda. Yep. We are not trying to do something fishy. We dedicate people to contribute to the project because we rely on this project and we want this project to succeed as much as you do. Yep. And these people will work for the project, not for Ivan. Hmm. Cool. Okay. That makes sense. And I can see how you can justify your land and budget. You and I have already been on the panel together. Yes. um, Talking about authentic participation in open source from companies. We had that at the open source summit in Austin last July, I'm willing to say. It was summer-ish. Summer-ish, yeah. Ish. Something like that. I'm curious, has your view on corporate influence on open source or authentic corporate participation in open source changed in the past nine months? No, nothing. And we're still driving the same work group basically to build, to finish what we started back then. Cool. And now we have two active workshop, sorry, uh, work groups going on, one in European times and one in North American times. So we can have more inputs and contributions from different companies and people from around the world. These are both part of the to-do group. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's basically these two ones are one it's in morning morning European times. Yeah. So it it can it it helps the contribution between the ones in Asia for example or Pacific and yeah. Europe while the other one it's held in more afternoon-ish times in Europe time. So it can uh, enforce a collaboration between North America, for example, or America in general, and Europe. Makes sense. I try to do podcasts in New Zealand. Don't try and do podcasts in New Zealand. Final question I have is, you're talking about this work, authentic participation, excellent, uh, how Ivan does things, hiring people to work embedded within projects, have them become maintainers, have them take on the extra work that is necessary. Uh, what other work do you do to ensure the sustainability of the projects that you touch and the dependencies that you aren't able to hire a developer to work on? Yeah, so one of the things that we are trying to do as well is we we have something called, for example, Plankton Program at Ivan, and that aims at people who want to do contributions in their free time. Hmm. And what do we do there is like, you can do contributions in your free time, and usually that would be it. You just... I did three changes on the project. Went for a walk, missed yeah. PRs, had a good time. That's it. So in at Ivan, if you report this thing back, you will get paid for those hours. That's for internal people. What about people who aren't working at Ivan? For people who are not working at Ivan, we usually prefer to not do funding as in open funding. We do funding on foundations and we do funding on specific projects. And sometimes okay. we do funding on infrastructure. So for example, if uh, some projects need infrastructure to run a Kafka cluster to yep. showcase something. Uh, we offer those credits so they can run in kind one stuff. Yeah. But we prefer to dedicate people's time on the projects. So we are not just relying on we will give this only this small amount of money yep. to one project and to this other project and to this other project. And then I, I firmly believe that a funding based uh, sponsorship on projects, it's good, but it also creates lots of stress on the other end because I'm getting a fund today, will, will last me some months, but I need to start looking already for the next round of funding. If you decide to go with funding. Sometimes exactly. it's useful to set up a sustainable practice. Exactly, yeah, but that's and that's a different thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and so what we try to do is like, we try to bring this new line of sustainability by bringing more people into the project so they are not one guy in Nebraska the one single person in the Nebraska project. Yep. There will be at least one person in Nebraska and somebody else, somebody else around the world. How many open source dependencies do you use at Ivan? Uh, too many. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I, I can see you helping out the individual fruiting bodies, but the whole mycelial network needs yeah. help, right? So yeah, that's, that's the problem as well. So one of the things that we are not yet in the execution phase, but we are on the proposing phase is to dedicate certain part of your time to work on critical infrastructure projects. Cool. And it's still in the makings, uh, still needs to be executed. But that will mean that we have X percentage of time, which needs to be decided, to be dedicating into working on projects that they are critical for the internet infrastructure. So yep. we go with the OASSF critical criticality score yep. rankings, and then we try to clean up the elements in that, which are clearly well-maintained and have enough of attention. Yeah. Linux kernel, for example. Yep. It has pretty much a lot of attention already. Doing fine. We probably don't need to dedicate even more attention to that one. We can spend those efforts into other projects that do not have such level of attention. Yeah. And probably we want to go in that Excel sheet. If if you haven't seen that, go to the OSSF criticality score and download the Excel sheets or CSVs. And there is one column that says number of orgs 
on the project of people, like how many organizations, different organizations are involved into this one. You said orgs, right? Yeah. Not orcs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, o- just checking. O-R-G. Uh, <laughs> cool. But anyway, sometimes yeah. it feels the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how many organizations are backing up that project? Excellent. Yep. And you can see that many of them have one, two, three. Of course, that data might not be completely reliable. And yeah. probably Gmail is an organization according to that one. But anyway, we have the data we have and we can, uh, we only need to, we can do what we can do. So we try to tackle the projects which, which might have less organizations already. That's a good tactic. Helping like those ones. Yeah. And that's something that we try to do. And that's, that's how we can try to help not just the highlights one, the, the highlighting and the, the poster kit uh, open source project, but also the ones that they need help. Cool. Joseph, I've asked hard questions because you're already punching above your weight. So I figured you could take a bit more. So thank you so much for helping run the OSFO at Ivan. I didn't realize it was so small. Not to say 500 people is small. I'm the last person I talked to had 30 people, but compared to, you know, Fang, it's not huge. Yeah, exactly. So we are not on the same lake, but we try to have an impact and we try to set a way for everyone, Fang included, to start working on the open source with this different approach. I think I heard of a license that was like that once. Uh, that's great. Thank you so much, Joseph. Uh, where can people learn more about you and Ivan online? So you can go to Ivan.io, for example. Uh, you can A-I-V-E-N? A-I-V-E-N. Dot I-O, okay. Correct. Uh, you can go to my Twitter handle, for example, with this J-L-P-R-A-P. And there I usually try to share things about open source and I usually try to share any talks that I'm doing. And I'm having a talk later today at Force Backstage about sustainability beyond funding. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to hearing that talk. Uh, Thank you for coming and talking here today and best of luck. Thank you very much. And it was a pleasure being here again.